Geek News Reviews, commentary, not just another podcast, uh, the ordinary big ball broadcast. Lucky, lucky, wow! 14 flavors, two for every day of the week. So, like, which flavor would you like today, sir? That's all 14 flavors, sir. Hey, wait a second. It's like you haven't paid. Who has his comb? Yes, dude, but it's not for free. You have to give me money for that. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 36. All the geeky news you can use coming at you from the West Coast. This is Kyle A. Bear, an anime and video game voice actor. And your co-host of the East Coast, Heather World Steve, and I am still playing documentarian. We got a nice uh, hodgepodge of info here, thanks to the awesome internet searching ability <laughs> and tab openings of Mr. Otherworld Steve here, which I am uh, thoroughly grateful because I am always on the go myself, and you are too, to be fair. You are very, very busy, and you find time to dig up our story. So I just wanted to say thank you, Otherworld Steve. Well, it's all reciprocal, you know? What goes around comes around. We actually got a lot of um, feedback from our listeners. We want to thank you guys, first of all, for writing us at thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. Good stuff going on down there. And of course, at Twitter, at bbbroadcast. You can give us your feedback. Want to give a big shout out to our chat room regular, Cocaine and Whores, <laughs> who wrote us with a, a link here. It says, hey guys, I was browsing Tumblr and found this. And the link took us to uh, something that says, students of Clear Creek High School have a petition asking for a life-size statue of Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z to be erected in honor of voice actor Christopher Sabat, an alumni of their school. And then there's a link to the petition. So the total needed was 2,000. And as of now, uh, they are actually really close to achieving that goal. So I wonder if I, if I don't drop this petition link in the show notes. Are we going to make it happen? Are we going to have Chris Sabat, the director of the English dub of Dragon Ball Z, as well as the voice of Vegeta, Piccolo, and a thousand other characters on DBZ, to actually have a life-size statue of Vegeta erected? Before the show is over, I'm going to sign this petition. I think that's definitely a worthy cause. I mean, we live in a day and age where RoboCop can have a statue. Yeah, sure, the story was set in Detroit, but it was shot in Dallas, so I think I think the RoboCop statue needs to be in Dallas. That's just my opinion. I think it's actually a really good idea because they're doing this for Chris, and they're not doing it just for the sake of having a Vegeta statue and being an alumni there. I think it's a good way to recognize a, kind of a, a hometown hero, maybe inspire some kids to show them, hey, follow your dreams, and you can make shit happen. And yeah, being Vegeta is going to be I think, visible and known to a lot of people. So, fuck yeah. Guaranteed, again, before the end of the show, I'm going to add my name to this petition because I need this to happen. This is under 300 people, folks, and this podcast reaches more than 300 people, so by next show, I want to see this thing greenlit. I think I should uh, tweet this out to uh, on my on my own Twitter, at Kyle Bear because you know I voice Gohan, the uh, older Gohan, uh, and the narrator from Dragon Ball Z, as well as Ox King and some other things. And I've been very, very blessed to be a part of the show and the franchise and the series of movies and all that, and most recently Resurrection F, which we have some scoop. Stay tuned. We're going to tell you the release date for the DVD and Blu-ray of that coming up on this here episode. But meanwhile, I wonder if we can't actually get all the the signatures needed to have this. And and if that happens, will it actually be considered? Actually, can it be a thing? Dean Clark 88 in the chat says, allegedly, Sabbath said he'd get a tattoo of Vegeta if it hit the mark. So, fuck yeah. That's win-win. Also want to give props to a uh, an MP3 recording. Yes, thank you. Uh, another option... Uh, thank you, Mike Mann. We're going to play his voicemail here, MP3, in just a moment. But 
that's another option for you guys. If you feel like, I don't feel like fucking typing shit. It's like, all right. Okay, so say you hate Twitter. Say you hate Facebook. I don't know why you would. Social media is a good thing. I mean, in small doses. Moderation, kids. Another option for you is to get your voice actually heard on the show. It's almost like you were here. What? Thanks, technology. Thanks, science. Send us your science. Just record your voice in some capacity, save it as an MP3, and email it to thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. We'll listen to it. We won't necessarily play it, especially if it's bad and disparages us and makes us feel sorry and embarrassed. Nah, I'm kidding. But we will at least listen to it. And we like what Mike Mann had to say, which is this. Hey, Kyle and Steve. My name is Mike Mann. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I just came across your podcast, sounded interesting, downloaded a few episodes, had no idea you were the voice of Sir. As soon as the podcast started and you started talking, I was blown away. I was like, oh my God, it's the guy who does the voice on the Smodcast Network. No wonder he's doing a podcast on the Smodcast Network. So I listened to your first three episodes today while working. I got to say, I really, really enjoy it. Next week, I'm going to try to burn through as many as I can while I'm working. And the only thing, everybody's going to have negative things to say about everything, but I'm not going to shit on it. I'm not going to be one of those people like, oh, fuck it, these guys suck. There's, there's no way I'm going to do that. Everybody's got their own opinion, and Steve has a lot of opinions about DC. I'm a DC fan, but I like the uh, the Marvel movies. I just recently started reading comic books in the past few years, but I've always liked Batman. So naturally, I'm a DC person, but I basically only read Batman. Read a little bit of Deadpool. I know he's Marvel and a couple other obscure things. Keep it up. I really enjoy the show, and uh, I'm going to try to burn through them and catch up as quick as I can. Thank you. Take care now. Thank you once again, Mike Mann, for submitting your MP3. There's always going to be the DC versus Marvel thing, you know, Beatles versus Elvis. That's awesome. That's that's great. My first, not necessarily, but kind of sort of hate mail. So that one goes on the calendar. Otherworld Steve got a little taste of some hate mail. You know, it really just boils down to my opinion is different than yours. <laughs> it's, it's like that's really all it is. It's not saying, hi, your opinion is wrong. I need to talk about this real quick because I think I stunned you before the show started when I said, um, I really love, I mean, really love the presidents of the United States of America, the band. And it's kind of unfortunate because a lot of people only know them from that one album that has Lump and Peaches on it, which is a great album. But there's other albums and, dare I say, better albums. There's Presidents of the United States of America, too. There's Presidents of the United States of America love everybody. And they're, it's fucking great. And the reason I came to this conclusion was that I've been working on this documentary project um, with the help of a big talent, award-winning voice actor, might I add. And I can't listen to metal because I listen to metal, no work is done. I just I rock out with my cock out, and that's it. President of the United States of America has got a good balance. It, it's good music. It, it's got some happy, bouncy shit going on. Um, inoffensive lyrics. My kids love President of the United States of America, and it's something we can get in the car and really fucking jam out and sing along to. So yeah, I just wanted to share that <laughs> with our listeners. I'm not a total, you know, ass-eating prick. I, I do enjoy the finer things in life, and I certainly enjoy the presidents of the United States of America. And you enjoy bands that probably... On when they first got together, didn't think to themselves would have a children's following. I think They Might Be Giants is another one of those. Or um, Smash Mouth. The singer from President of the States of America has uh, his own 
side project, and I, I feel horrible for not knowing the name of that right now, but it's specifically for kids. They, they make kids' albums, and I think that's great because it has the same integrity and energy of his other projects, so fuck yeah. I'm, I'm just going to swear constantly through this episode because I went over to iTunes earlier to kind of see what was going on, and I noticed... I think regardless of what we do and say, our show is flagged as as explicit. So I don't want people coming here and getting a clean episode if we're being billed as explicit. So no, we, we earn that rating very quickly. It's, hey, you brought up iTunes. Thank God for iTunes because I cut the cable cord uh, several years ago and I don't have a way ad-free to enjoy The Walking Dead until the season sets come out, which I just got season five on blu-ray and i'm really happy about that but meanwhile this new series the companion series fear the walking dead made its debut and made a huge splash uh sets an all-time record for uh its premiere uh if these numbers mean anything to you (laughs) it's a 90 minute debut of course that's with commercials became the number one rated cable series launch on record with 10.1 million viewers including 6.3 million adults, 18 to 49 years of age. Uh, Yeah, years of age. In total viewers, Fear surpasses TNT's Raising the Bar from uh, as top dog among cable premieres. How about that? And the previous record in the 18 to 49-year-old demo was AMC's Better Call Saul, which had 4.4 million earlier this year. AMC now has three of the top five cable launches of all time, with Walking Dead ranking fifth. It's all those stats I just read you are courtesy of Variety.com. So kudos to the Walking Dead uh, team for having a successful launch of their companion series. I'm pretty, I was pretty stoked to, to watch it. I was skeptical because it's like, okay, this is something that has nothing to do with any, it has no source material. Unlike the existing Walking Dead show, of course it's based on Robert Kirkman's hit comic book series, and which still continues and has, you know, a lot of uh, variations from the comic. And, you know, Daryl and other characters don't even appear in the comic book. Uh, different variations on what they've done with characters. Uh, some live, some die, and, they, they, and the dynamic is really, really interesting if you take time to read the comic and see uh, how they've made the show different. And uh, that's good, because otherwise it's just, you know, horribly predictable and just, you know, it just sets everyone up for disappointment. So with the success of that, they thought, okay, let's take the beginning of the zombie apocalypse and let's show what happened somewhere else when uh, Rick, the main character of the current show, uh, basically wakes up in the very first episode of Walking Dead. He wakes up from a coma and all hell broke has broken loose. It's the zombie apocalypse. What happened leading up to that? It's, uh, of course, not set in the Atlanta area as Walking Dead is. It actually takes place in Los Angeles with a uh, a family, a dysfunctional family, you know, you got you got a guy and a girl. They both have kids from from other people, other marriages and whatnot. And they get together, and it's hard for them to all get along. So you have that weird dynamic going on. Uh, one of the sons is a junkie who looks like a completely like a young version of Johnny Depp. In fact, when he walks, he looks like he's a member of The Walking Dead because he's so strung out on drugs. And um, I found that to be a pretty interesting way to have, you know, a character first encountering zombies in the uh, in the apocalypse and having people freak out going and just blowing him off because he's he is stoned. He is completely high on God knows what. 
And he can't even come to grips with what he's seeing. You know, seeing friends getting their faces eating off, eaten off and whatnot. Um, so it's kind of a slow burn kind of a show. So if you want just, just, you know, rampant carnage and blood and guts, you've got some gore, but it's not dependent on that. It's actually more character focused, like the current Walking Dead series, which I think is a strong point. I think that's a strength to play to. You know, watching a family of, of, or, or just a whole bunch of characters that have this thing that's going on, you know, the, the apocalypse is just starting to happen. You know, kids are going to high school and saying, Hey, have you heard on the news? There's all these, these outbreaks and people are, are killing other people. And then, ah, oh, no, no, that, we'd hear about it. And then shit gets real. And I gotta say, the show, it, it holds up pretty well. I think it's got a strong cast. I think even the, the not likable characters are portrayed really well, but I'm particularly in, in and I don't have the tab open to look at the IMDb credits, but the actor who does look exactly like a young Johnny Depp, who plays the strung-out son, uh, particularly strong uh, performance. Uh, and the dad and the mom, they both work at the high school. So you see a lot of, sh- a lot of shit going down in a high school, but also um, other areas. Uh, so you'll see a lot of the L.A. area, especially if you live in L.A., it's, you know... Kind of one of those things like, hey, I recognize that. You know, this this scene goes to this scene. And like, oh, wait, how do they get from that point to that point quick? How, why are they investigating this at night? Oh, it's because they sat in the 405 for too fucking long. So that's an inside joke. Unless you saw the SNL skit. But anyway, that's basically my review. Fear the Walking Dead, I think, has off to a really, really strong start. Just as the original series, Walking Dead, was five seasons ago. So I have uh, subscribed via iTunes, and it's, I think it's only fifteen ninety nine in the U.S. and iTunes for the whole season, because it's not, you know, it's not 26 episodes. It's, gonna, it's much shorter. I dig the premise alone. I think the premise is really cool. Full disclosure, I have not watched a single episode of The Walking Dead, and it's not because I don't want to. It's just I choose to do other things with my time. The premise is really cool because you're talking about something that, that's occurred nationally, potentially globally. So yeah, why not have a different perspective of how things are going down in different places? And it's a fucking huge show to begin with. So hey, why not? We talk about Jurassic World money, and you know these are Jurassic World numbers. Those are huge numbers for a show debuting, and just a little funny that it's coming off the heels of something else instead of being its own thing. But this is one time where I think copying, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way is actually kind of beneficial for that whole universe. Uh, one scene in particular rings of like kind of creepy irony where everyone's watching TV as the, the live uh, shot from the, 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 the TV news copters and all that are showing all this mayhem going on with, with police copters and, and ambulance stuff. And people are reacting and, and thinking, what is that? What's going on? How come this person that we thought was dead is getting up and being shot to death by police and still going on i mean is this real or is it fake and the creepy irony is we just had that really disturbing shit go down i think was it virginia where this guy just gunned down a reporter and the cameraman and he filmed it yeah it's really shocking it's really disturbing little backstory for anybody who's not aware at this point apparently he's a previous member of that news team he he was an anchor uh he had some problems with alleged uh racial harassment going on in the studio and this was kind of payback i guess 
it's just fucked up. I want to throw something out that isn't in the show notes. I read an article earlier tonight, and it was on io9, and it was just really, really interesting. Because, of course, the other thing that's all across everybody's social media is the whole Ashley Madison hack. You have families utterly destroyed right now because of the information coming out from the Ashley Madison hack. What was interesting, when io9 went through the data, they essentially proved somewhat conclusively that these guys weren't even talking to real women, that the majority of the female profiles were bogus and any women that did have paid subscriptions on average only checked their inbox once. These guys were paying a lot of money because only men pay on Ashley Madison. The women don't. They get to set up their profiles for free. These 35 million men were paying gobs and gobs and gobs of money on a monthly basis, essentially for no shot of ever hooking up with anybody to have an affair behind their wife's back with. When that service first was established, I heard the commercials on Howard Stern. So I have a subscription to Sirius XM, and I'd listen. I hear Ashley Madison. I thought it was a parody ad. Hey, you want to cheat? Call this service. And you know, it's got some sultry, sexy female VO person just saying like, "Call Ashley Madison. We're going to hook you up discreetly." And it's like, really? What's going to happen when all these people sign up and then you know, anonymous or someone decides to just like, well, let's just let's just put it out there. Here's a huge list of everyone who's ever signed up. Boom. And you've got celebrities. You've got politicians. Uh, some of the big ones, like Josh Duggar from the reality show, that was pretty big. You know, this guy's actually uh, working as a consultant type of person. I don't know the official role, but he works with Congress to really push that family values and, and how important the relationship between a husband and a wife is. And then you find out this fucker's paying for the service to, to bang ladies behind his wife's back. Yeah, this shows you like the real world. This is like, this was really going on under the crust. The, the people that we hold to these, I don't want to say high standards, but we put them up on pedestals. They're like the fuckiest of the fucks. And I don't want to get too much into it because it's really disgusting and I don't want to bring the show down, but Jared from Subway, that's fucking disgusting. It's too bad that he has a lot of money because he's paying for a lot of this to go away. He's going to do time, but he's going to deal with this, his attorney and with the judge that he can't ask for less than five years. So he's probably only going to do five years, but he's got tons of money and he can pay to make a lot of this go away. These are how these fucks act in real life. They're nothing like the, the personalities you ascribe to them on television. He's probably going to pay his way out of being any serious danger. Danger. The very interesting trend of uh, social justice amongst, you know, the worst and the most hardened of criminals. Once you get back, it's like, oh, you touched a kid? You're dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I killed someone or I raped someone, but you touched a kid. And then suddenly a mop is up their ass. Keep thinking about Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, he did not last long in jail. The guards pretty much intentionally just walk away. Oh, we didn't see anything. And holy shit, what a, what a snafu. The, the cameras were glitching at that time, so we didn't get anything of what happened. Yeah, but I think Jared, again, is going to pay to make sure none of that happens. Or offer a bunch of free sandwiches. I don't know. I want to say in the interest of being balanced and being fair, it shouldn't really hurt subway you know you you can't fault a company for somebody who was for a long time a, a legitimate and and quite profitable frankly a spokesperson i guess you can only be so responsible you know what they choose to do in their private life years later with the millions you gave them whatever but I, don't boycott subway don't don't fuck subway i don't think it really has they're not endorsing that that's for sure you know one of my biggest contentions with people just raising a stink over you know don't eat at chick-fil-a because they're anti-gay it's like well you know they do have gay employees and all that you know despite someone's politics what does that have to do with the product so oh, i don't want to endorse it i don't want to endorse it i want i want to boycott this and boycott that you know think about how many people you have varying opinions on politics 
on religion, sexual orientation that are in your uh, in your face every day, whether they're pumping your gas, whether they're sacking your groceries. Everywhere you go, there are people that you don't have discussions with that have these anti-gay or very negative, politically incorrect, awful worldviews that are a part of your existence. If you actually knew about every one of those, would you boycott existing? And it's kind of fucked up if you think about, yeah, the CEOs may have that standpoint, but the person trying to feed their wife and kid, is it really fair to punish them? Because like you said, they, they might be gay, they might be transgender, they might be of a race that may not be of the majority in that population. So you're not hurting the CEO's bottom line by doing that. You're, you're hurting that nine to fiver who's just trying to get by. I mean, we have a corporation with negative or controversial standpoints. They're not going to go and risk getting sued by, you know, not hiring or firing active employees based on, you know, orientation or whatnot. So anyone disagrees with someone else, suddenly I'm not going to fill my gas there. It's like, well, you got to get gas somewhere. Exxon, they crashed the boat and destroyed all this wildlife with the oil slick and all that. It's like, okay. Yeah, right. You know, I'm not going to put gas in my car because you guys are fuckers. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's boycott gas. It's like, you know what? You do that for a day, you're still going to have to fill up your car eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and OPEC's not going to cry. You know, nobody at OPEC's can really going to give two shits because, like you said, within a day or two, it's like, oh, God, got to go grocery shopping, got to go to work. <laughs> Reality. I thought this was fucking hilarious coming across my social media feed today. Burger King came out and proposed that they should work with McDonald's for Peace Day and that for Peace Day, they should create a concoction called the Mick Whopper, bringing the Whopper and, and the Big Mac together and showing this solidarity of, you know, look, if, if we can play nice together, then everybody can play nice together. I thought the response from McDonald's was pretty priceless. And you have to kind of read through the uh, between the lines, a little bit of subtlety there, but it was definitely a, a fuck you response. And uh, it says, Dear Burger King, inspiration for a good cause. Great idea. We love the intention but I think our two brands could do something bigger to make a difference. We commit to raise awareness worldwide. Perhaps you'll join us in a meaningful global effort. And every day, let's acknowledge that between us, there is simply a friendly business competition and certainly not the unequal circumstances of the real pain and suffering of war. We'll be in touch. Steve, McDonald's CEO. And then he throws a little PS in there that says, a simple phone call will do next time. Well, shit. You know, for the record, I prefer McDonald's. For the record, I prefer Burger King. Ooh! What do you like best at Burger King? I kind of dig the new fries, and um, I like that they'll throw a lot of variations of their burgers out there. You'll have the A1 burger and the barbecue ranch burger or whatever. That plays to me to go that I can go through the drive through and see different things as opposed to the same old, same old over at McDonald's. Um, but I will say, kids, that's not how I live. I do not eat my dinner through the drive-thru every night. Only on rare occasions. I could live on Egg McMuffins for breakfast every morning, but uh, I would probably have a heart attack at some point. So I'm lucky that I, I have a, a beautiful fiancé who loves to cook and makes wonderful breakfasts. And I don't have to worry about that. I hate eggs. I think eggs are like the fucking grossest thing on the planet. Really? You think that's the grossest thing on the planet? I really do. There, there's a lot of things I'd eat that people would consider gross before I eat eggs. That's just me. I know it's weird. It's, ew. What's NBC doing? They're greenlighting a sitcom set in the DC universe. What the bloody fuck? And first of all, I thought this was weird because it's not coming to the CW, fucking NBC. The synopsis reads that, based on characters from DC Comics... Oh, by the way, the name of the show is Powerless. 
<laughs> Based on characters from DC Comics, Powerless is a workplace comedy set at one of the worst insurance companies in America, with the twist being that it also takes place in the universe of DC Comics. The show is about the reality of working for a normal, powerless person in a world of superheroes and villains. I'm immediately curious. I think that's fucking interesting. It kind of, in a way, reminds me of Damage Control over in the Marvel Universe. I think this could be interesting. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest tell in this is that um, DC isn't opposed to a little bit of comedy. We've heard that there's a policy in their um, in their cinematic universe that you've got to be gritty and serious. There's no comedy where Marvel would do certainly more lighthearted things. And, and I guess you could kind of call Ant-Man an action comedy to a certain extent. So I think it's big for DC to admit that, yes, you know, you can't always be that Debbie Downer. you got to have some of that levity in, in some of your series and your productions. And I think the premise is pretty cool of what would it be like to be that normal person going to that normal job and having your normal everyday issues in a world filled with superheroes. Kind of like Incredibles, where they were superheroes trying to blend in with a mundane job. But something the other way, other way around. This sounds like a preemptive strike on, on the count of DC against, think about it, Deadpool. Deadpool is supposed to be this huge comedic oriented superhero franchise and DC kind of needs one of those. They need something funny. Again, I'm curious. I, I think it kind of goes against the grain of what's out there and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. When you have networks or Hollywood studios take a gamble I give them props for thinking outside the box. Does it always work? No. And unfortunately, there's always a trend where if something's really, really good, it gets the plug pulled faster than anything. Now, I don't know about NBC. NBC's commitment, uh, for example, I bring up Constantine. It did last a little bit longer than Firefly. They did really try to, to, to give it something. And now there's a glimmer of hope after it wasn't renewed for season two. The character of, of Constantine is going to show up on Arrow. So it's like with DC involved in everything, there is hope that we can see something unique when they have something good and then it's just not getting the mainstream success that the hardcore fans thinks it deserves. Then maybe, you know, there's, there's another chance. I'll tell you, you just said a bunch of words that really touched my heartstrings and you were talking about being true to the fans. And it, it made me think about this next story here. What Marvel's doing in contrast to show that they're really cool guys as well. Cosplayers are taking over the covers of, of some of Marvel's most notable comics. This is over at Superhero Hype. If you want to see, um, I think just about all the covers, the, the last one, number 21, is classified. They won't tell you who's on the cover or uh, for which property it's for. But each of these covers features a cosplayer dressed up as that character. And we talk a lot, unfortunately, about some of the, the hate that's still out there towards cosplayers, towards people in the furry community. Shit, just this weekend, right here in my backyard in Boston, you had the issue with two jackasses coming down with a shotgun and an assault rifle threatening to take out people at the Pokemon World Tournament. So there is still, unfortunately, societally, a stigma placed upon these geeks who choose to publicly show their geek. And I really have to applaud Marvel for not only supporting people who cosplay as part of their uh, properties, but to display very proudly these characters in costume on the covers of these very prominent comics. Yes, sure, little, little PR on Marvel's behalf, but I, I tip my hat to them, and especially for being first to the punch with that. Yeah, I think uh, for cosplayers, that's, uh, that's a good sign that things are uh, definitely hitting 
mainstream and especially the the crossover. I mean, that's a great idea. And what's great too is these aren't necessarily people who spent years and years and years on their costumes. There's certainly some people that you can see where financially they may not have that have that kind of support, but they still really have that passion. So Marvel seems to really encompass the whole of cosplay instead of just like picking out the very well-known, um, very, very meticulous costumes out there. Let's cover this one here. Now, I mentioned DBZ Resurrection F before. It did really good box office this year with its limited theatrical release so well that they actually had on Core showings yet again, just like last year's Battle of Gods. So, a huge success not only for the Dragon Ball Z franchise, but for anime in general. Proof to Hollywood that um, this pop culture phenomenon is a force to be reckoned with. So, the, uh, the hit movie is coming October 9th on DVD and Blu-ray. You can get your uh, pre-orders in off of Funimation or DragonBallZ.com, actually. Lots of delicious goodies and extras available. I haven't seen this movie yet, and I've kept spoiler-free. I, I know, of all things, I want to keep spoiler-free. I'll, I'll delve into Star Wars, but fuck no with Dragon Ball Z. So I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be available digital HD on October 9th, uh, Blu-ray and DVD on October 20th. There's a little bit of extra content, 50 minutes of additional content, and you have the voices of Dragon Ball Z, the in-booth making of footage and the return of Dragon Ball Z cast interviews and red carpet footage. So, Abear, you want either of these things? I did some behind-the-scenes stuff at the premiere. Actually, at the Japanese premiere earlier, we had some of the English cast there as well as the Japanese cast. Did some behind-the-scenes stuff there. So that's probably going to show up on there, hopefully, anyway. Waited patiently for it to be released so I can enjoy it in its HD glory in English. So, woohoo! We work very hard to speak good. I'm so tempted to pop in my early 90s bootleg of a bootleg of a bootleg of Akira, the first anime I ever saw, because those subtitles are fucking, they were atrocious and hilarious at the same time. I actually have a set of Yu Yu Hakusho, where entire characters are switched, flip-flopped, names are completely ludicrous, and of course the grammar is questionable. It's not even conversational English. It's just English. It is so, so bad that you actually kind of forget the plot that you're watching <laughs> and you keep on waiting for the subtitle to say something more ludicrous. I admit, back in the day, and this is really aging me here, I plunked down cash on VCDs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Video CDs are a big thing in uh, Taiwan and some of the Asian countries, and I picked up some of the DBZ movies, and they're dubbed into English by an Asian cast. And uh, you can actually search this out on, on YouTube. There's some pretty hilarious performances. I know Chris Sabat, the director of DBZ, has, has wanted to somehow secure the rights to putting it as a, as a cool Easter egg on some of the home video releases. But uh, that was not to be, unfortunately. But thanks to YouTube, you do have access to watch uh, some of the finest acting you've ever... Yeah. Okay. I have never heard of this, and now I feel so compelled to seek this out. Oh my god! And people were picking on the English dub. You ain't seen, you ain't heard nothing yet. It was pretty sad. Is as I get older, I get so cynical, and I've, I've reached that point of being cynical that I would rather watch Dragon Ball Z abridged over the original series. Well, they are quite hilarious. I don't have all the money in the world to throw at them, but they need to release episodes faster. I can't keep fucking waiting. Come on. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Uh, everyone has, like, real lives and shit, and then they're trying to do that on the side. <laughs> For free, right? <laughs> For free, because it can't 
monetize on it. It's not their property, technically. It's really a fan dub, but yeah, good stuff. Okay, so you have remained spoiler-free as far as Resurrection F is concerned, but you will gladly (laughs) soak up every bit of spoiler for Force Awakens, yeah? Well, you know, it's fucked up because I get to give Abrams and company, uh, you know, Disney, of course, in particular, a lot of credit because not a lot is getting out there. Not when the prequels were coming out and, and, you know... I had a screener copy to that final cut, full finished effects about three weeks before it hit theaters. That's how bad the leaks were. And it it is, it's hard to find stuff uh, about the force awakens, but I'll tell you what's driving me fucking nuts. It was driving me fucking nuts. Yes. We're going to earn that mature rating kids is this fucking uh, force awakens toy unboxing event. And this is unfolding over 18 hours in 15 cities in 12 countries. This is all being streamed on the official Star Wars YouTube channel. And if you go over to sites such as Superhero Hype that I happen to have open now, it has the entire schedule of which country is going to be unboxing at what times. The thing that's really driving me nuts about this is, yeah, that's that's great that people are excited. They're enthusiastic. They have a lot of faith in Abrams that he's going to make a kick-ass Star Wars movie and redeem those awful prequels. But you're releasing the figures fucking three months before the movie comes out. Two problems with that. The first is, A, how much spoilerific shit is on the packaging? I don't even want to know. And even if you tell me, oh, there's nothing on there, I'm not going to take that chance um, to get in-depth in on who these characters are. And B... What incentive do I have to buy these uh, toys within the next three months with no fucking frame of reference? And now, reenact your favorite scenes you don't know that you like, but we think you will. And people that might be in the movie for 90 minutes and people that might, you know, walk down a corridor once. Yeah, you got people that got a hold of, like, the whole Hasbro toy catalog and scanned it in. So you see these these high-quality versions of all the toys, all the, you know, Lego, Micro Machines. This sounds like a wonderful idea when the movie comes out. Why is it so hard? I understand it takes time to create toy molds and all that stuff, but from a timing perspective, if you've got that shit ready to go, I understand your 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 toy company you want to make money as fast and make the money back on your investment as soon as possible something like star wars you're going to make money so why not just wait until the damn movie comes out i i don't know if there actually is a a technical reason why things are released in advance of the movies the other thing i can speculate about is get the figures out now in the playsets and the the fucking ships and whatever, and the early adopters are going to go out and they're going to pay that brand new retail price. Because Star Wars is coming out so late this year, it's like right on the cusp of Christmas, so there's really not a lot of um, shopping days left after the movie comes out. So by the time Christmas rolls around, a lot of these things are probably going to be on sale, marked out a little bit because they've been on shelves for a few months now. And they're hoping parents are going to go in and just buy shit that says Star Wars on it because, duh, my kids like Star Wars in general, even though it's not movie-specific. That's what I think. That's the only rationale I can come up with. A brand like Star Wars, you don't really need to have a whole word-of-mouth thing going. I mean, God knows, as publicly reviled as as the prequels are, we all threw lots of money at Lucasfilm back then. We packed those theaters time and time again, and we ate it up. We looked like hypocrites. The fact is, they got our money. 
And so there's money to be made. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's just how much extra money can we make? Now, now something that is very well-reviewed and well-revered, you've seen it, and I have only seen a handful of episodes. We're talking about Star Wars Rebels, the hit Disney XD show, of course, coming back for a new season. And it looks like uh, you get your first glance at the new season at uh, New York Comic Con, if you can make it up there. And this is another, what the fuck? Why am I waiting so long to see more of this? Because it is, it's, it's fucking great the star wars rebels panel is going to be taking place uh at empire stage 130 to 230 and followed by an exclusive screening of two new episodes on the same stage and from 5 30 to 6 30 and these episodes feature the debut of a bunch of characters like captain rex and commander wolf and more darth vader Woo, fucking who and that was not sarcastic. That was true excitement. But that's all I can muster in my old age. <laughs> I'm excited for this because this um, it's, it's really been done very well. I was impressed originally with uh, Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. I thought that was great just to have somebody's uh, artistic interpretation of Star Wars after Ewok and droids. I mean, come on. We need something better. And I thought this would be more pandering to kids, especially because it's Disney and it's on Disney XD. But it's it's been really fucking great. And and this the season ender, which of course is a massive fucking cliffhanger leading up to the return of Vader in the premiere of season two. It was a great episode, and there's a lot of great episodes. I think the greatest thing about it is hearing Steve Bloom on this not sounding like Steve Bloom. You can't say, oh, Spike from Bebop. It's it's totally different, and I keep forgetting as I watch episodes, yeah, that's Steve Bloom. I can't say enough good shit about it, and I hope it continues to be good shit. I'm really envious of these fuckers that get to see it early, and uh, you know, sneak your phone in, shoot some video, put it up on YouTube. I personally don't have much tolerance for it, because it's just like, this looks like shit. I can't understand a word it's saying, because the acoustics are awful if you're trying to record something in a big, you know, Comic-Con-type event. But, you know... People are going to get out there. People are going to watch it. And Griffin the Chat says that Naruto creator um, is going to be there for his first U.S. appearance. Wow. I will always intentionally say Naruto. We like mispronouncing things. It's what we do here. It's uh, <laughs> originally te- tease on uh, Tsunami before I was corrected. Coming up next, Naruto. Gundam Wing and Dragon Balls. Classic series that uh, a lot of the newer kids don't seem to know about is one from uh, uh, an artist who is lovingly called, I love his name, Monkey Punch. Created a classic James Bond-esque character called Lupin the Third. He has been around for many decades and many iterations, multiple series, multiple movies. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, you know, it's only been... 30 years since we've had a Lupin series. So, a little overdue. Cut right to the chase. There's uh, 24 weekly episodes that are going to start airing in Japan on October 1st. I'm sure it's just a matter of time before it comes over to the U.S. I've dug the earlier iterations as they aired on Cartoon Network. Uh, I enjoyed them thoroughly. I also got to, um, I'm very grateful that I got to spend some time with Monkey Punch uh, years ago when I was writing for some anime magazines. Got to do a sit-down interview with him, and he was fucking wonderful. And I have a Lupin the Third sketch and a Fujiko sketch done by Monkey Punch. Very prized possessions of mine. So I'm already a little interested in this, and it still looks like older Lupin. I mean, it's not fucking... Inspector Gadget, like when they brought it over to Netflix, where everything had to be CG'd and all shiny. It, it looks really good, and it looks, to me anyway, uh, hand-painted cell, but I don't know. It, it's, it's probably CG with a lot of trickery. 
So some good stuff to look forward to. Nice. I remember I had a, a blast getting to record on some of the Funimation specials. Uh, this was back in the early 2000s. Uh, there was a movie called Dead or Alive, and uh, I got to be the, the main bad guy in that, General Headhunter, and then various bad guys in some of the other other movies. And uh, when it was in the hands of Funimation, they had uh, voice actor Sonny Strait, who was Krillin in Dragon Ball Z, uh, be Lupin, and uh, Tony Oliver, the voice of Rick Hunter from Robotech, voices him on the classic series on the English dub of that, and uh, Richard Epcar... Zenigata? Is that Chris in the Funimation dub? Is that Sabbath? That is Chris Sabbath uh, on the Funimation dub. My worlds are colliding. But it's good stuff. It, it, it's really good stuff. One of the few animes that was turned into a video game. I don't know if you remember that. Cliffhanger, I think. Quite. It was oh, laser. God. It was very similar to uh, Dragon's Lair. And they basically took one of the movies, and again, I'm seeing now, I don't remember the name of the movie, and they cut it up and turned it into a Laserdisc uh, kind of choose-your-own-adventure game. So... Yeah, check that out. Ridiculously rare to find a cabinet. I was going to say, how many uh, highly acclaimed video game uh, anime tie-ins are there? there? There's hit ones that make a lot of money like Dragon Ball Z and Naruto, Clash of Ninja series and all that. But in general, a lot of tie-ins to anime have horrible, horrible games. Yu Yu Hakusho. I think Cowboy Bebop was scheduled to come out over here, but it never did. Evangelions had games in Japan. They never crossed over. Full Metal Alchemist, however, did have some success on PlayStation 2 and, and the Nintendo DS. I remember back in the day I was writing for Becca Anime Collector and I did a review of the second Full Metal Alchemist game and they wouldn't publish it because they felt it was too abusive, I guess, towards the publisher. But, you know, it's a property I was very passionate about, so I had to be brutally honest about how shitty that game was. And you learned the, the harsh rule of journalism. It's like, that doesn't sell books. No, kids, lie. Smile through your teeth and cash that paycheck. Speaking of cashing that paycheck, do you think William Shatner will be cashing in a huge paycheck for the Star Trek the cruise attraction that's the thing that hooked me and made me want to read the article and then i realized it's a lot more than shatner and it's scary uh basically what i'm talking about kids is there's going to be a star trek the cruise essentially this is a cruise ship um leaving from miami for the bahamas it's going to have the original uss enterprise captain william shatner Tickets, A, only starting at a grand. Oh, let me correct that. $995. That's the starting price. But what do you get for that? Well, you get a ship, this giant fucking city in the sea, basically entirely remodeled and restructured to look like the Starship Enterprise. Shatner's going to be there. It is going to be performing his musical act. Jonathan fucking Frakes, who I just love so much, is going to be there with Marina, whatever the fuck her last name is. And they say they're collaborating in some kind of performance called Love Letters. Denise Crosby's going to be there fucking tap dancing? That's crazy. you got Star Trek style of Family Feud being played on the ship. You've got John D. Lancey hosting a Q masquerade ball. So you have a lot, a lot, a lot of these um, actors from the series all together on this one ship doing really fucked up things on stage. And I don't know. It, it's crazy. It sounds like a fucking acid trip. And I'm not even that big of a Trekkie, but I'd pay a grand and get drunk and have a fucking blast on that cruise. I wonder if everyone who went to the Vegas attraction is going, oh, it'll be even better. I just really like Jonathan Frakes, and I just, I would hope he would be doing better things than this. You know, this seems like really, not even like third tier, it's like fourth tier, fifth tier, kind of really low stuff. Like a couple of years ago when Carrie Fisher had her big, uh, big uh, drug-addled breakdown. 
performing on a cruise ship. It, it's, it seems really low. I dig Frakes from uh, voicing Xanatos from Gargoyles. I thought that was great, and I thought maybe he could kind of do the Mark Hamill thing and not necessarily be on camera, but do some great voice work. No, relegated to a fucking cruise ship. Jonathan Frakes has had a very successful career as a TV director. He directed many Next Generation episodes, of course, where he kind of cut his teeth on, but he's worked in every sort of genre behind the camera. He hasn't appeared on camera, I don't think, nearly as much as he's been working behind the camera but still on a cruise ship <laughs> if they said hey let's have a dragon ball z cruise i'd be all over it yeah I, I think that's something you know you don't have the kind of notoriety or, or exposure i guess as something like star trek true facts man we are i guess in fact getting a new masters of the universe movie and this one apparently has landed thor ragnarok scribe i don't know if you remember the uh, 1987 live-action film <laughs> with uh, Dolph Lundgren. And uh, Courtney Cox. We talked a few episodes back about Watchmen being unfilmable because it was just too high of a standard for the, the people that really enjoyed it to see it bastardized on screen. I think this is a movie that's unfilmable just because I don't think it's something that should be on film for a number of reasons. Uh, I don't think it's something that necessarily translates or even really has that type of demand without doing a dark and gritty reboot. I thought the second iteration of the He-Man cartoon was interesting, where it got a little darker and the stakes were a little bit higher. So I'd actually advocate for a, a dark and gritty Masters of the Universe, because if this is just camp like the cartoon, I, I can live without this. Well, when you see a successful toy line like Transformers turn into a multi-billion dollar franchise, everyone just sees dollar signs, and they don't care. I mean, artistic integrity be damned. We're going to bring back this, this generation's childhood We're on the big screen, and I don't care how different it is. You know, look at how many iterations of, of Ninja Turtles there are. That live-action one from last year got greenlit for a sequel, uh, despite pretty negative reviews. I still have a big problem with Disney taking all of their animated properties and, and making the uh, live-action adaptations of them. Again, I do stand by Maleficent. I li actually like Maleficent. I can't see a reason to go ahead and just do all these 10 20 30 years from now is someone going to say hey let's do a live action toy story oh i think it might be sooner than that you know i think that just missed the, this last year's uh, press conference they're holding on to that one for next year why the fuck not you know they're really doing a lot over there in in uh, their theme parks with star wars i thought it was impressive last week with the big announcement that this fucking huge uh, theme park was coming all centered around star wars and now they've been changing Space Mountain to hyperspace something or another, all Star Wars themed. And remember when you liked this? Remember this, this part of your childhood and you, you got off to it? Here's a shittier version of it, but you know what? We know you're a sucker and you're going to fucking buy into it anyway. I saw Tomorrowland on a flight recently, and I wish I hadn't. And the only reason I wish I hadn't is because I enjoyed what I saw so much I wish I had seen it in the theaters. I totally missed it in theaters. I'm definitely going to pick it up on Blu-ray because there's so much creativity and cool shit going on that just brings the wonderment of childhood back it just makes you feel young and it, it's such it, it's just cool and everything i thought okay it's not going to be interesting let's take another theme park attraction and, and turn it into a, a big screen movie it's like yeah that works so well for eddie murphy and haunted mansion like oh it's terrible the thing that gave me hope was brad bird the director of the incredibles and most recently ghost protocol mission impossible the last mission impossible movie great animation director great live action director he proved it again. If you haven't seen Tomorrowland, it's coming on video soon. That's a really, really, really good flick for all ages. 
it's not edgy and dark and gritty. It's actually really, really cool and kind of brought back my childhood in a way. I think it's going to find a following on, on home release. I really do. Because a lot of people, including myself, I didn't see it theatrically, and, and I'm starting to regret it. People are kind of like, you know, I don't know why people didn't go see this. Brought something new, fresh to the plate, kind of took its unique spin on it. Visually, yeah, it looks pretty sick, so I can't imagine sitting through that whole thing. It's got a great message, too. Just, just you know, using your imagination and sticking to your dreams and actually changing the world for the better. That's That's something that you don't see a lot of movies kind of pushing you know it sounds like an agenda or it sounds like some underlying annoying like well the moral of the story kids and it's like it doesn't come across as you know spoon feeding you things it's like we think you should believe this it's just that kind of childhood innocence thing that even walt disney himself was was behind when he when he came up with the whole theme park idea of, of disneyland and you know i think that's why it failed because unfortunately we live in a society where all that came across my news feed today is that kim kardashian has the you know highest number of twitter followers ever and i'm still trying to figure out why she's somebody we talk about but hey that's just me and she's put on 45 pounds since she's preggers again. And so, you know, really important shit are headlines on as you check out at the grocery store. It's like, I don't fucking care. I threw up a little bit in my mouth. And this is going to sound pretty horrible. She was just involved in a Make-A-Wish thing where she went and did an appearance uh, for, for a terminal child. And I thought, how fucked up are your parents if this is the person you want your kid to hang out with before they die? It's like, is, is our society that fucking shallow where, where we put people like this up on a pedestal instead of like the real fucking heroes in this world? Who would you like to meet if you could meet anybody, dear? Kim Kardashian. Like, oh, you mean that's that psycho bitch that, that's famous for being famous? <laughs> that's really contributed nothing? You know, even Paris Hilton has done the world a favor and kind of, you know, shied away from it a little bit. So that's just me. I'm not out to hurt anybody, but I mean, I don't want my kids growing up and thinking that those people are role models. Famous for being famous. See, you hit the nail on the head. Make an actual real contribution to society and then hear a worship all you want from there. And on that note, we're going to pull the plug on another episode of the Big Ball Broadcast. Thank you all for listening and downloading. And uh, we're seeing our numbers go up. We're so thankful uh, ever since our launch on Smodco right around Thanksgiving last year. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride so far. And know when we uh, do our live audio stream every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, we got a link to our chat room so you can listen in and contribute to the show as well. So until next time, this is Kyle Abair. And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com.